0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son,
1: and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Christ the teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling us to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education and our faith. Exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host, and unfortunately Kyle P. and Trentonio will not be with us today for this program. But today we are going to be talking with Jason Simon and Mari Pablo from the Evangelical Catholic. A nonprofit organization dedicated to transforming lay people into zealous leaders who are excited and equipped to go out and evangelize their communities. Currently, they're serving 163 Catholic ministries, including parishes, campuses, and military bases. And Jason Simon, who is with us, is the president of Evangelical Catholic. And with a background in parish work as a director of religious education and youth ministry, Jason saw the power of evangelization in the church and his passion to see more lives impacted by the Holy Spirit. He received a Master of Divinity degree from the University of Notre Dame and then began his tenure with Evangelical Catholic. And Jason lives in Madison, Wisconsin, where the ministry is headquartered with his wife and six children. Maddie Pablo is a consultant uh, with the ministry, and she is well known to many of you probably through her dynamic presentations at the annual Steubenville Youth Conferences, and is a presenter for several of the uh, Ascension Presents programs. Maddie holds bachelor's degrees in theology and psychology from the Franciscan University in Steubenville and a master's degree in theology from the Augustan Institute. So Jason and Madi, thank you so much for being here on Follow to Lead.
2: Thank you for having us.
3: Great to be here.
1: Well, we're really glad that you could join us today. And the way we usually begin is to uh, have our guests kind of give a little bit of background about their lives and their upbringing. And Madi, we're going to use Ladies First. And so would you please tell us a little bit about uh, your background, your upbringing, and uh, and how you came to where you are today?
2: Sure. So I am coming to you from Miami, Florida, which is actually where I grew up. So my family is originally Dominican and Palestinian. So my family moved here from the Dominican Republic when I was one and grew up here. They were a part of a charismatic nonprofit organization called La Comunidad Cierro de Cristo Vivo who our founder is actually a servant of God right now on his way to be a saint, Father Emiliano Tardif. And so I kind of grew up seeing miracles happen right before my eyes. The blind start seeing, the deaf start hearing, and um, really the things of scripture, understanding that it's the same God that we know of today. And I um, grew up in this household where my parents were preachers and it was really beautiful, but it was also just my parents' faith. And so through, I've had about 13 ear surgeries, um, and just a lot of my whole childhood was spent in the hospital. So through that, and as well as when I got into high school and specifically in college, um, I served as a life team missionary and summer camp. And those two experiences, one kind of started my faith as like a personal faith of, I understand my, this is why the Lord is important to me through my surgeries and all that stuff. But then in college was when it was like, okay, Jesus is real, and I want to dedicate my whole life to him. And it was kind of I call like my reversion um, when I was in college. And after that, mm-hmm. that's when I I didn't even know about Franciscan until that point, and transferred schools and changed my whole life around. And then I was a youth minister in New Orleans for a couple of years. And the Lord, I felt, was calling me to my home in Miami. And I was a morality and sacraments teacher for eight years, as well as campus minister at the high school, at my old high school. And then the Lord brought me in a very, very clear way. Um, to the Evangelical Catholic, where I've been serving for the past eight months. And it's been a beautiful journey to be able to just see just like the evangelization and the equipping of the laity, which is something that I've always been very passionate about. So it's been a Mm -hmm. a good journey. And the Lord has, when you say yes to Jesus, he kind of takes your plans and laughs at them and makes them way better. And that's pretty much what I've seen in my life. His plans were way better than mine.
1: That's great. Great. Well, uh, I know that uh, there's a lot of fun stories you're going to be able to share with us about ways in which uh, we're seeing uh, God at work in the hearts and lives of those that you're, uh, that you're touching. Well, Jason, let's, let's turn to you and, and give us a little bit of your background.
3: Well, I grew up in uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, on the other side of the world from where Maddie grew up. <laughs> and um, I grew up in an evangelical Protestant home. Uh, beautiful upbringing, I uh, learned to love Jesus and love the scriptures and did Bible quizzing and memorizing Bible verses my, my whole childhood, uh, but um, as I got into my college years, I, I drifted away from my faith a little bit, um, and there were s- several influences that brought me back, but um, the main one was a campus crusade for Christ, uh, they're now called CRU, uh staff member, who reached out to me and asked me to have lunch with him, and discipled me out of the darkness I was in, uh, back into light uh, through weekly meetings and and praying with him and the accountability and eventually invited me into a Bible study where I really grew in my faith and brotherhood with other guys on campus and we all started praying together intensely for uh, for the Lord to move on our campus in a new way. We all started our own Bible studies. We all saw. Other, other people come out of darkness into light and just the, the strong right arm of the Lord rescuing uh, people on campus. And I loved it, I, I, I just felt so alive in that mission uh, because of where I had come from and who I knew Jesus to be and the power of uh, apprenticing people one-on-one and the power of small group Bible studies. Um, and so when I, I graduated with an engineering degree, but I had resolved and kind of told the Lord, when I pay off all my loans, I'm going to go back into campus ministry. I'm going to, I'm going to join uh, Campus Crusade for Christ staff or do something like that. And I'm going to get back into, into the trenches and, uh, and bring you to people who are in darkness. And um, well, while I was an engineer, um, I became Catholic. Um, I, had, I had gotten back together with my high school sweetheart who was Catholic. And she gave me a Scott Hahn book. Uh, which was very convincing to me, Rome Sweet Home. Yep. And I met some Catholic mentors who had a background in the Navigators and in Campus Crusade, and they apprenticed me and walked me, accompanied me into the Catholic faith in a really beautiful way. So uh, I was a Catholic engineer then, and a priest called me and asked me to work for his church as a director of religious education and youth ministry, and I, I told him, I don't know anything about Catholic theology. I know a lot about Protestant theology. I'm an engineer. Uh, but if if you can pay me enough to keep my house, I'll come and work for you. Because I, I always did want to get back into ministry. And I thought maybe the Lord wanted me to do it sooner than later. Uh, and so um, through, through a series of events, I went to World Youth Day in 2000. And I just felt like the Lord was um, calling me to take that job, which I did. And I loved it. And as you said in my bio, I just I just saw the power of the Lord, working in the Catholic Church, um, so so beautifully. I would I would walk with students one on one, and then I would I bring in the confession, and then they would turn their lives around, experience the Lord in beautiful ways, and uh, it was just a great handoff between the ministry I was doing and the sacramental ministry of the church, and the two just worked so well hand in hand, and I just. I felt like I, I was doing uh, evangelization on steroids, <laughs> having having the right. power of the institutional church backing up this evangelical ministry that I was doing. And I had never experienced that as a Protestant. And, uh, and so I, I just knew I was called to do this for life. And I went and, went and got my theology degree. And when I was done at Notre Dame, the board of the Evangelical Catholic called and asked me to take over uh, which I was, uh, humbled and excited to do. Cause I, I just, uh, the evangelical Catholic had a lot to do with me becoming Catholic. And so I, I just was excited to contribute to the mission. And, uh, that was in 2007 when I joined and, and I've been here ever since.
1: Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. You know, you and I share a lot of background together, I think both being converts, uh, to the faith and, uh, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, which is kind of kind of like Catholic light, but it was <laughs> really through the uh, the evangelicals that I came back to a, a passionate faith for Jesus, and uh, was uh, you know in the church for a long time. But still, when I was drawn to the Catholic faith, the beautiful thing is that I regarded everything that I held deeply, my my love for Scripture, my relationship with Jesus as a personal relationship my passion for making disciples, uh, the work and power of the Holy Spirit. All of those things were easily incorporated into my journey back into the church. And that's, in fact, when I first heard about the evangelical Catholic was even before I came in. So I was always intrigued with that, uh, with your ministry, because it described who I was. Can you give us, uh, Jason, a little bit of a genesis about the ministry in its beginning. I know that it was Ted and Sandy Cruz that got it started back in what was it, 1998?
3: Yeah, yeah. Tim and Sandy Cruz. Um, he was working as at the time. Well, so he grew up Catholic, uh, went into the Navy, the navigators, and Billy Graham evangelized him while he was in the Navy, and so he just uh, he had never been really evangelized. Uh, he had he had um, beautiful memories of of the Lord. As a Catholic boy, he had nostalgia about Advent and Lent and the, the the liturgical seasons, but he really experienced Jesus for the first time in a powerful way through the ministry of Protestants. So he went to Fuller Theological Seminary, became a Protestant minister, and landed back in Madison. Um, uh, eventually, through reading the Patristic Fathers, he came back to the Catholic Church and saw that there there was a lot of good teaching in the Catholic Church. He loved, and I came to love, Evangelii Nuntiandi, Redemptoris Missio, Vatican II uh, mm-hmm. documents, Gaudium et Spes. I mean, just the vision for evangelizing the world is so beautiful in the Catholic Church. But then when he went to parishes, he was shocked to see none of it being lived out. Right. And he just thought, I've got to do something about this. I've, I can do something about this. I ran a successful ministry of evangelization to young adults as a Protestant pastor, I can help. And so he just started um, digging in. And uh, really, the, the first um, the first real fruitful enterprise began at a Catholic parish in Madison that wanted to launch small groups. And they thought you'd do the, st- the standard thing, you know, recruit small group leaders, train them up real quick, do a big sign up and launch small groups, you know, kind of like the, the way it's been done many times before. And uh, his approach was to pull together a small group of people, kind of like St. Ignatius of Loyola started the Jesuits, a small group of people spend a year together growing in friendship, uh, loving Jesus, praying over each other, uh, sharing dinners with each other, becoming friends, uh, kind of like Jesus with the Twelve as well, you know. And then... And then after a period of formation and training launching their own apostolates their own small groups which they did and uh, things in the parish just started to take on a whole new flavor as people were evangelized in these eight or so small groups that were launched Mm -hmm. and after those small groups ran a whole new group of people wanted to be trained as leaders for their own small groups and so that that gave rise to the evangelical catholic just the need to train these leaders. And then parishes and campuses started calling Tim and saying, hey, can you help us do that? Can you help us do that? And so he saw quickly the need for the evangelical Catholic to coach parishes and campus ministries uh, outside of his own parish and how to do this. So that that's really what gave rise to, to the evangelical Catholic.
1: And are they still involved in the ministry today?
3: Uh, they're friends. They were on our board for many years. They continue to be benefactors, but um, yeah, they pretty much uh, handed it over to us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> to a new generation of leadership. Yeah. That, yeah, that is exactly.
3: great. Yeah. Maddie yeah. will be running it in 10 years.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Maddie, I know that you're, you're, you're in the trenches. I mean, you're out there with these parishes and, and uh, campus ministries, etc. When, when you use the word evangelical, uh, how does that uh, how is that re- uh, received by the people when when you begin working with them?
2: Mm. By the time we I get them, they already understand what we're doing. I think sometimes when I talk about it and people that aren't hundred percent sure of what the evangelical Catholic is, they're like, "Wait, are you evangelical or are you Catholic? And I'm like, <laughs> we're Catholics. We love evangelization. So it is sometimes a thing that we have to be clarifying the importance of it, but you know, the church exists to evangelize and that's really what we're, we're trying to do, especially specifically for the laity. And so I think sometimes well, whenever I start with any parish or university, it's like, well, if you look at the church, right, the universal Catholic church, right? Like the song says the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. A lot of people are very lenient and are putting a lot of pressure on just like the clergy and like clergies or nuns and they're the people that run the church. But if you look at the numbers, the majority of the church is us, it's the laity. And so, Mm -hmm. and priests and religious are extremely important, but they need our help. And so it's what, what can we do to live out the purpose of the church, which is to evangelize and to go out. And so this is what we love about what we're doing here. And so whenever we start something with a parish or university, it's really helping them and equipping them and encouraging them of, Hey, you're important. And I always tell them the people, you know, I do not know. Mm -hmm. And so the people you can reach, I cannot reach. And so it's the importance of we need your voice and we need your witness to be able to go out. And this is what we love about training and equipping and then sending out, because it really does make a difference in the purpose of the church.
1: Well, let's talk for a second about uh, the key principles that you all use in terms of working with parishes, working with campus ministries. Um, I, I know your training approach takes about three months to get, Instituted and all that, kind of take us through what would happen if uh, a group was involved with the Evangelical Catholic.
3: Maybe I'll start and then and I'll hand it off to Marty to to, um, to talk about the specifics. But um, the first thing we do is find pastors and priests uh, who who are usually the decision makers in a community. There are Campus ministries that we work with where where there's a lay director uh, but we need to work we need to find the the decision maker of a community who's charged with the care of the community and find find a usually a pastor who has it on his heart to launch lay people into the community to make disciples some Some pastors uh, they're more interested in attracting lay people, into the parish to to volunteer and to work for different programs. Um, but but we talk with them about, have you thought about having the emphasis being on launching lay people out into the community to be fruitful rather than inviting them into the, the parish to volunteer? And mm-hmm. a lot of pastors just have never thought about that because our parish has been in such a strong program uh, paradigm for the last 20 years plus years. Uh, but once you explain to a, a pastor the power that happens when you really form and equip lay people for apostolates in the world, how fruitful they can be, how they start inviting, they reach, like Marty said, they reach uh, people in their lives who have fallen away from the Catholic Church, who have just never considered the Catholic Church like myself. They just start witnessing about Jesus to them and praying for them and fasting for them. And beautiful things start to happen. And so um, finding a pastor who's willing to launch, to emphasize the launching of laity, go, you are sent, like the mass says, you know, uh, finding those pastors eventually through a conversation will eventually sign a ministry partnership, a contract with them, uh, with that pastor in their their parish or campus community. Uh, Once they do that, I ask the pastor, please find somebody, a lay person in your community who can lead this movement who can lead the formation and training of lay people in your community. Uh, and we go through a period of, of discernment together, so he can find, a, we call him a point person, a lay point person. And that point person, we don't send missionaries. Uh, Madi uh, visits some of the ministries we work with, but some she coaches, she never visits. Because the lay person on the ground is doing all the formation and training. And Madi then starts to coach that lay point person, through the process of doing everything to to lead the formation, to help lay people discern their mission in the world, and to launch them and support them as they engage in mission. So that's kind of the big picture how it happens. We sign an agreement, we get a point person, and then we assign someone like Marty to start coaching and accompanying and praying with that lay person as they launch lay people.
1: That's why you call them consultants as opposed to, let's say, a disciple leader or something like that. They are to come exactly. alongside.
3: Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yep.
2: And then I get them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so, and for me, there's a couple of things that I love about being a consultant. Number one, I've been in ministry for 15 years, or over 15 years, and like ministry burnout is a thing. And so, one of my things that I love to do is just checking in on the point person like, how are you doing spiritually? What are your needs? How can I pray for you? Where are you at? Do you need help with this and that? So, it's kind of a, I'm helping them and making sure, because sometimes in ministry, when your work is ministry, you get so, like, you could be talking about Jesus all day and sometimes forget to talk to Jesus and have your own relationship with the Lord. So I always have to check in on that first. That's one of my priorities. And then the process is really simple. When I first heard about the EC, one of my big questions is, like, content-wise, right? Like, what are you saying? What are you doing? And I love that our content is is very simple and it's not complicated. It's literally we we borrow it from Jesus, which is what we should be doing as Catholics. And so right. What did Jesus do, right? He he took time for prayer. He discerned about who to who to be invite into his 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 group of intimate friends, right? Then he walked with these 12 for 3 years and he formed them and kind of taught them his ways. And then he sent them out and with the Holy spirit, of course, and these 12 people from these 12 started the entire church. Mm-hmm. And here we are all these years later. Right. And so this is really what we do. So I walk with a point person. I help them with the initial things of what is your role and what are your gifts? And are you a builder? Are you a shepherd? What are areas that you need help in? What are areas that you don't? And then I really walk them through, okay, let's take time for prayer. Who, who are you looking at? Who are, who's in your church? Who's in your university that let's pray about who we can invite into this small group of people. And we take time for prayer. Sometimes we do novenas and spend time in adoration of what are these names. And it also makes them aware. Sometimes they don't even know the person's name. So they'll say, The guy that's always in adoration that wears this, you know, like, okay, how about you go introduce yourself to the guy that you always, (laughs) never know, right? So it challenges the point person to get to be intentional with who we're meeting. And then we invite them into the three months of training. And what I love about the training is that it is very scripture-based. And so it's a lot of diving into scripture and how does this apply to my life, but also how is your prayer life, but also how to have practical, there's one of my favorite sessions, which I think is great, is just about how to have conversations with people and how to ask good questions, because mm-hmm. that's so practical. And I love that that's what we're doing, that it's so practical and so application-based that if you go, if you go up to a stranger and you just know how to ask good questions, you could have really deep impactful conversations that could bring them into something greater, right? And so, and how to share their testimonies and how to share their stories. And so it's all these things that are very practical and and very important, but also there's a one-on-one component that the point person walks and meets with every individual in this group on a one-on-one basis. Uh, 12, in these 12 weeks, they meet six times and they're diving into their story and they're diving into their gifts and they're diving into confession and sacraments. And so it really does cover so many different aspects of life And then as you move towards the end of the 12 weeks, it's more of, okay, this is your life and this is you and the Lord. Now, how can we share? Because when, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when I go to a restaurant and I eat something delicious, I'm going to tell everyone about it. And I'm taking pictures. I'm a huge foodie. So everything's about food for me, but it's the same thing. If Jesus, who is
0: really
2: the bread of life, right? If Jesus is so important to me, why am I not sharing this with everyone? And it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be me in a corner shouting, you know, repent to believe in the gospel. It's, it has to do with how I interact with a person on a daily basis and how I speak to my waiter and how I have a conversation with people at work. It's the day-to-day that we should be evangelizing. And then we send them out to mm-hmm. start their own apostolates. And I love that with the point person, we're talking about Yes, it could be a small group, but also maybe you love running and you want to do like a running club and then talk about Jesus at the end of your run, right? Maybe you really love coffee and you want to meet at a coffee shop or it's it's helping them understand that they we want them to take ownership of their apostolate and that we don't just send them out and forget about them.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: the point person follows through with them, right? In the same way that Jesus didn't leave without sending the Holy Spirit to continue with them, right? So the point person continues to form them and walk with them and check in with them every every you know few months and offer continual formation, which I think is a key component that is often overlooked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It it seems to me that one of the things that has to happen, especially in a parish, is there's got to be a paradigm shift mm-hmm. because pastors. For the most part, now, as a as a Protestant pastor, what I learned very early is that if you don't grow, you die. Uh, we're constantly in a growth mode. We're always looking for ways to evangelize, ways to draw people into the church. But uh, in the Catholic world, a lot of times pastors are more in a maintenance mode, just trying to keep everybody moving forward, coming to mass, being involved in the various things. Um, is when you have pastors that, that you begin working with, is there a work of having to help them shift their paradigm and even change their ministry priorities to make all of this happen?
3: Yeah, I, w- I would say um, a lot of that happens. We, we have three people on staff. All they do all day long is call priests and directors and lay leaders in the church and uh and work to convince them and inspire them to launch lay people to trust the holy spirit and launch lay people into the world for uh, an apostolate and um so a lot of the paradigm shift that you're talking about uh father andy happens during that process before we ever sign with them Mm -hmm. but uh once once that starts going and once Mādi starts coaching the point person to launch lay people and once it's seen how fruitful they are, then a lot of times the pastor wants to pour gas on the fire. And, um, and that's where he needs to start thinking about priorities, because the movement grows as fast as you can staff it. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you can surround the movement with volunteers. You can, sur- you know, some of our smaller rural farming communities. You know, they're never going to have a large professional staff. It, it wouldn't even be ideal for them. It's not, it's not who they are. But they can surround it with, with um, volunteers, retirees. You know, they can, they can raise out more and more leaders. But a, a pastor has to lead that charge to organize, basically organize the parish or the campus ministry as a center for apostolic formation and training. Rather than a center of activity, a center of programs, he's putting all of his eggs in the formation and training basket, and he does that little by little. He decides, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna have this Christmas uh, gala event because I I I wanna instead of using all these people for that event, I wanna I wanna free people up to pour gasoline on this formation and training process. So I'm launching more lay people out, and so. Madi's a big help with that. She'll help. She has check-ins with the pastor. Um, also, we have other staff members who keep in contact with the pastor. Um, next year in 2023, we're going to host a priest, uh, a conference for priests. Um, it's it's going to be um, helping a, a pastor make the transition from, you know, like the book, from Christendom to the apostolic age. Right. A lot of pastors don't know how to make that shift. Mm-hmm. And that shift involves equipping the laity to go out and evangelize and shifting away from considering the parish to be the engine of evangelization to thinking about lay people as the engine of evangelization and and that paradigm shift is it can be hard to make but yeah we we'll, we we'll, we help a pastor walk through that
1: yeah i would think that uh, especially given the fact that um much of what you're doing in terms of evangelism is uh more uh behind the scenes uh or people living it out living out their life uh and and being uh change agents to those around yep. it's not like having like you said the big christmas gala where we have 700 people come and so i would think that in some ways the parish could get a little antsy if they did not have a clear signal uh from the pastor hey we're re- this is really yes. working
3: right right Yeah, and you have to have a certain number, you know, so the process Maddie's talking about, we're gonna, we're gonna train uh, around 20 people per year in a parish. And so it's not a it's not a quick, explosive process. Um, We do things to reach the broader community. Maddie, you know, the parish can have Maddie come, and she'll do a mission night. And and we have a 1% challenge. And so Madi will, will do a talk on prayer, an exhortation on prayer. She'll challenge all the parishioners to, to give 1% of their day, which is 15 minutes a day, to prayer every day for the next 30 days. And then we'll have adoration and we'll have time for personal prayer. We might even share some testimonies about, about what the Lord did even during that time of adoration uh, to speak to people. Um, to just arouse people to pray, so we do that kind of thing, and that's broad-reaching parish stuff. But really, she's training 20 leaders per year in a deep, transformative way. Uh, over time, you know, you've had a hundred people trained. You have a hundred people engaging apostolates in the in the in the world around them. They're very fruitful. You start to see that. Um, but, it, you know, to, to build up and have there be a lot of enthusiasm and traction for the movement broadly, you know, a pastor has to resolve to do it. So you're not going to cancel the Christmas gala overnight, you know, and we, right. we, don't come in, we don't come in and pick those fights. You know, we, we let the Holy Spirit inspire a pastor in those directions. We don't. That's not what we do. But eventually a pastor sees, wow, this is really fruitful. I want to direct more energy there. I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So uh, we we have no. Marty doesn't coach a parish to cancel anything. Mm-hmm. She just coaches a parish to start forming people. That's that's what we do.
1: Well, and just so that there's clarification, it would it would sound from our conversation so far like Jason, you and your whole staff are just dumping everything on Marty, but you actually have more consultants <laughs> that are yeah. at work doing the Definitely. same work that Marty is doing, correct?
3: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so we have 163 ministry partners, mm-hmm. as you said earlier. Uh, and each each uh, ministry consultant, depending on what type of agreements we have, will have between 20 and 30 ministries that they're they're coaching. Okay. Um, some of our consultants have, have other responsibilities to help us improve. You know, drive certain improvements. Uh, Madi does a lot with Spanish speaking. Um, our Spanish speaking ministry and, and helping with translations and doing videos. Um, so Madi, how, how many ministries are you coaching right now? 18, 18. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So she has a little less than some Mm -hmm. of our other staff because she has other, other responsibilities to help us develop, uh, resources. Um, so it's between 20 and 30 usually.
1: Well, as they say, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words and we don't have necessarily pictures of what's going on. But Monty, can you kind of give us an example of some of the great stories of of ways in which uh, there's been an impact in a church that's really uh, turned that church around or the same with a campus ministry, for example? Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, so, some of the ones I'm new here, so some of the ones that are longer, I think Jason will help you with like the bigger pictures. But the ones that I've seen so far and the ones that I'm excited about, um, recently I started working with a parish in Texas. And specifically, obviously, I was a teacher for many, many years. And so I have a special place um, for youth and just high school in general. And one of them was a high school soccer coach, and it was at a public public school. And he started, he was just in love and it's cool because I got to actually visit this church and so I got to meet him in person and hear what he's doing and he was kind of coming back and, into the church and when I was there we were able to do adoration and it was one of his first times in adoration and my whole conversion happened in the presence of the Eucharist. I was I was so excited for him to just be in the presence of the Eucharist and so before I met him I kind of knew what he was doing and so he started a Bible study with and he invited a couple of different teachers from his school Mm. to meet in the morning before school even started to just talk about scripture. And that was his small group. And he had such a passion for what he was doing that in my mind, I was like, it's a public school. How is this even happening? But he was just, he just invited it and it's in, you know, before school hours and everything was great. And he's so excited about this. So I love seeing that. And then I loved meeting him, especially after adoration Mm -hmm. and his response to me. I was like, okay, so how was how was your time with the Lord? And he just looked at me and he was like, that was. There was a couple of moments that I just felt like it was me and him in the room, and hmm. I saw his heartbeat transformed. And his wife, he goes, because I told him, there's, you know, your church has an awesome, beautiful adoration chapel. It's twenty four hours. He's like, wait, I have a chapel twenty four hours here. And he's like, he, I was like, yeah. He's like, I want to bring my wife and child, mind you, his wife isn't even Catholic. <laughs> like, <laughs> He's like I want to bring my wife and kid here and he's like I'm like okay great like bring them to the lord so there are stories like that where i think through the process he, this was already this was the last week of the training group that i met him and seeing his passion his zeal and his newfound confidence in like i can do something mm-hmm. and i can be a witness not only in my work but as a father and as a husband Like I can lead my family closer to the Lord. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's one of my favorite stories just because I heard about him first, then I met him in person. And then I saw him encounter God in in that beautiful way. So Mm -hmm. that's something the parish wide that I've seen. Um, And recently I got to visit one of our universities and I just, I love teens and youth. So seeing this college group of people just get so excited about Mm -hmm. encountering the Lord and asking those questions of what are you learning and how are you growing and and seeing them again, just, okay, like I'm important and this is what I want to do. And they were having discussions they're in the middle of the training group right now. And so I was just asking, well, what are you thinking of doing? You know? And one of those like, Oh, I want to do something with this group or I want to do something within my sorority. And maybe that would be a good idea. And so just seeing these things of, how, what we're doing is coming to life and how it's playing out, not only in their own apostolate, but understanding that also their family and their vocation is a part of their apostolate. Um,
1: has mm-hmm.
2: been really beautiful.
1: Now, I know that you work with uh, Spanish speaking groups as well. Are there cultural differences in, in terms of how you would approach uh, your training and coaching and all of that?
2: Absolutely. Yes um the this is, I, I grew up in the Hispanic world right so the Hispanic world there are certain things that you do in the ways that we pray right there are certain words that we use in certain ways that um it is a difference and so the translations that we have I always tell wh- whatever parish I'm in I'm working with one in Virginia right now like you know your people and so maybe the verbiage of this because it's also the Hispanic world isn't just okay we speak Spanish but you know, I'm from Dominican Republic, that's very different than Mexico, which is very different than El Salvador, which is very different than, mm-hmm. you know, Cuban. So it's understanding who, I always ask, what's the majority of the people around, if, the, if it's Hispanic, what countries are they from? And what's their background? Because it is gonna play a role with, it's the same material, but the way that you present it or the, the verbiage that you use will be different. And we do need to be attentive, attentive to that. So we've definitely, especially the one in Virginia, We've definitely had to kind of tweak a little bit and personalize a little bit what I encourage them to do. I always tell them, get to know the people that you're serving, get to know the people that you're around and use different examples and use different things that will help them understand what we're talking about.
1: I know that here in uh, my parish where I'm serving at St. Therese North, we have uh, one of our priests is from Guatemala, Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to listen to him and and have him share with us. Well, Guatemala does it this way, but Mexico does it this way or, uh, and you see uh, so many uh, beautiful differences, but they all have to be harnessed in terms of being able to reach into that culture. Mm -hmm. Now, as you can tell from the white hair, uh, I'm a baby boomer. You know, Mm -hmm. I've been around for quite a while. Uh, You know, I got my start in the ministry in the 1970s. And so I'm, I'm, of a different generation then you've got, you know, uh, all of the other generations, especially in a parish, uh, do you see differences in terms of dealing with, with a generational of uh, diversity in the parish that has to be addressed?
2: Um, for, for me, I think I always, whenever we do a training group, I always, I always suggest getting people from different generations in the training group. So I yeah. always say, I always ask, Give me the age group, because the goal of the training group is for them to be sent out to start their an apostolate. So ideally, I want people representative from all different generations so that we have someone that's for the baby boomer section and we have someone that's for young adults and we have someone that's for young, you know, married couples that have children. And so I always love to ask that question because I understand there are differences in generations in the way that you explain things. And also it's a great opportunity for different generations to learn from each other. Mm -hmm. And to kind of meet each other where they're at. And beautiful friendships have formed from doing this. And that's one of the things that I saw in the last parish that I visited. They had a variety. And the younger person was saying, wow, I've learned so much from so-and-so. And and the way that she lives her faith and and vice versa. And so, yes, it is something to be aware of. And we're very intentional of let's make sure that we are getting every generation represented and every generation is served and equipped Mm -hmm. to be able to, to go out.
1: It's really interesting, isn't it? Because you can have uh, these different generations reach out to their affinity groups and, uh, and really have an amazing impact on working in the hearts and lives of so many people because there's such a different sphere of influence that all of these different people have. And, uh, boy, you get them excited about Jesus and, and look what can happen. Well, I, I know you work on on campus ministry uh, on campus is a lot in ministry. What is there a differentiation between what you do and, say, a Newman Center or focus?
3: Yeah. Uh, well, the New- Newman Centers are the campus ministry center on campus that is charged, uh, like a parish has a territory. The Newman Center is charged with the territory of the campus. And so, in the same way that a parish pastor is charged with uh with the care of souls in a territory and the lay people of that parish are particularly charged with evangelizing that that territory that community Uh, newman center uh, director or pastor is charged with the care of souls on the campus and the lay people which are usually students are charged with the evangelizing outreach to the campus so our role, uh, the, the ministry partners that we work with, about 30 of them, uh, are Newman, Newman centers around the country mm-hmm. that want coaching and support so that they can better evangelize their campus community. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, in the campus world, it, it works a little differently uh, than the parish world. In the parish world, you have time uh, on your side. You know, people are parishioners for, you know, 10, 20, 30 years and you can really dig in in your relationships uh campus moves fast because you've got you've got four years and usually usually people don't come in as freshmen ready for leadership Mm -hmm. so sophomore year we're training them junior year we're we're launching them senior year they're they're bearing more fruit but it is a really beautiful dynamic atmosphere uh, we, we partner a lot with Focus. Uh, mm-hmm. Focus does great work sending missionaries to live on campus to equip the students to better reach their, their um, peers. Uh, our work is with staff. So uh, Focus doesn't, uh, doesn't really work with the staff. They work with the students, mm-hmm. with the staff support. Uh, but we, we, we're, our charism is to coach staff and to help the staff understand the vision of evangelization according to the church, the hope of it the, and to inspire the staff to, to work for it. Mm. And a lot of times they, they have no idea what that means or they've had bad experiences with other Protestant groups on campus and they're, they're fairly resistant to the, the vision of evangelization. But we love uh, befriending them, uh, praying with them as, as Maddie was talking about earlier. And helping mm-hmm. them understand the beauty of it, uh, evangelical uh, just means good news, good newsical, yeah. right? And, and so we're not called to go stand on on the street corners of campus and preach bad news, you know. That they've experienced that a lot, especially in the South, they've experienced preachers standing on the on the corners of campus preaching bad news, and the mm-hmm. campus ministers a lot of times have come to associate that as evangelization. And so they don't want to do it. Uh, It doesn't feel right. And it shouldn't because it's not our call. Our call is to preach good news. And the good news is that the Father loves us, that uh, if he sees the sparrow fall to the ground, how much more does he see, see us? If he clothes the hills and the grasses of the field with flowers, how much more will he clothe us? This is the good news that Jesus shares. Do not worry about anything. Uh, because mm-hmm. your father loves you and cares for you. So there's good news all over the place for us to proclaim as Christians in the context of relationships. But the campus ministers have, uh, have um, associations with evangelization that need to be broken down. And then they need to be shown a positive vision for evangelization, which is what mm-hmm. the church highlights. Uh, and so we love it. We love coaching campus ministers into that vision. Uh, and we work on, on uh, several campuses that have a focus team.
0: Mm-hmm. And,
3: and if we can help the campus ministers understand what focus is doing, that focus isn't going to street corners and preaching bad news, uh, but they're preaching good news and drawing students into the good news of Jesus, and that they as a staff can support that work and even be partners in that work. They don't have to outsource it to focus. They can do it themselves. Uh, mm-hmm. That brings tremendous energy and optimism and hope and communio between the focus team and the, and the local staff. So, uh, so it's really complimentary, the work of focus and, and what we do and in other groups as well.
1: I think that's important, too, given the time constraints. I know uh, one of my uh, pastorates years ago was in Manhattan, Kansas, where Kansas State University is located, and also yeah. on the outskirts is Fort Riley. And so my two major demographics were soldiers and students. And we used to say it's like preaching to a parade mm-hmm. because they come and they go and you're yeah. just constantly yeah. having a renewal. And so you, you do have to kind of uh, take things down to uh, bite-sized pieces and, and really make them work. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, I know those street corner preachers, we would have one that would show up at K-State. And afterward, the campus ministers would go, Well, that just set our work back about two weeks yeah, or so.
3: Right? Exactly. You know, because it's they have to
1: undo the bad news yep. and then give them again uh, the good news. Yes. Now, there's something I saw on your website about Reach More online coaching services. What's that all about?
3: Well, I'll, I'll let Marty talk about it. She's really the pro. But uh, Reach More is the coaching process that we use to form and train lay people for apostolates in the world uh, but our, our our belief our philosophy our, our driving conviction is that it's it's not right to just give ministry staff members a box to implement you know they open up the box they put a video in and they just pass out a bunch of workbooks and implement the process on their own without any help as Marty said uh, there needs to be a, a individualization of content, an understanding of a, of the local context, uh, a, a solidarity that that um, that you bring to implementing any formation and training to lay people. Because uh, in the Hispanic community, there's cultural differences, but uh, in in every community, there's cultural differences. The the difference mm-hmm. between San Diego and Boston is significant and needs to be accounted for so reach more our process of formation and training always comes al- comes with a, a consultant and all of our consultants like maddie she said she has 15 years of ministry experience and a master's degree in theology and that's the case with all of our staff we have very experienced ministry staff with theology uh graduate degrees mm-hmm. who can who can help bridge gaps and help adapt our process to local communities in a, in a very uh, individualized way. Mm-hmm. So that's what, that's what reach more is. And that's the backbone that Madi uses when she coaches local ministries.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the whole process is discern, and invite, form and train and send and shepherd. And so that's like the reach more is the online content, but also a big part of the discern, which I tell them all the time, it's not just discerning people, but it's discerning how to best use this process in your parish or in your university. Mm-hmm. And so it's a lot of discern how you're going to do this and what. look at your church, look at the needs of your parish, look at how best to serve them. So it is a big thing. And like I said, Reachmore is just the, the name of all of it, but it's a process that we're walking with them and through them. And it's one of my favorite parts because we get to hear more about what's going on and what their goals are, and what their desires are, and how can we meet them there.
1: So actually, the, the the online is merely a component or a backstop of things that are resources for these individuals, but you still have the incarnational relationship that really okay. is the the key to, to really moving the parish forward or the, yes. the campus ministry.
2: Yes. Yeah. So we'll use different assignments. So I'll say mm-hmm go to reach more and do this assignment uh, and then okay. we'll talk it through. Okay. So the next, in the next meeting, I'll say what spoke to you. And usually whatever spoke to them of the assignment, I kind of know, Oh, this is where they're at on a personal level, but also as a parish. And I'll, mm-hmm. sometimes I'll say what spoke to you personally, and what spoke to you for your parish to so just to see and get a better idea of, of how to best serve them.
1: Now our audience is made up primarily of teachers and, uh, educational leaders from the Catholic world. Uh, Has uh, the evangelical Catholic worked with Catholic high schools, or uh, I'm sure with your parish work, there's been some impact on the elementary schools aligned to the parish. Can you talk a little bit about uh, your experience in Catholic education spheres?
3: Yeah, we've had, I I believe we've worked with two or three high schools to date, and the the way that's worked is usually the campus minister there, uh, it, the the pastor again signs the contract uh, with the of course the principal's uh, excitement and full support. Uh, the the principal asks the campus minister there to work with us, and so Mahdi would coach the campus minister to do to do one of a couple things. So. One thing the campus minister could do would be invite a group of, of students as peer leaders to come together and do a training group with them. Madi would coach the campus minister to lead the training group with the, with the student peer leaders. We've also had principals or even a, a more seasoned campus minister lead a training group with teachers.
0: Mm-hmm. And
3: so the teachers meet early in the morning and the campus minister or even the principal leads the training group for the teachers in a, in a way that will ignite more intentional apostolate and ministry from the teachers to the students mm-hmm. and after that this the the teachers take that and and there's no we never dictate what the apostolate of a lay person is going to be uh, and so it'll it'll be suggested you know hey maybe you'd consider leading a small group of students but maybe the teacher feels called to a different apostolate within the school uh, to spread the love of Jesus in some other way. Or maybe the teacher just will meet one on one with mm-hmm. a particular student that he or she feels called to. Um, but th- those are two ways that this has been incarnated into schools. And I think it has tremendous potential uh, yeah. because all we're doing, we're not talking about pair structures and reach more. We're talking about forming and training lay people. Mm-hmm. And so anywhere that, that that can help a community. Become more missional, I think, is is a is a community that could consider using it.
1: It really could be a part of the faculty faith formation um, motif in a in a Catholic school, for example, and then they can take that into the classroom or into their life outside of the school too. So
2: whenever I have a parish that has a, a school attached or in a relationship, I always suggest either bringing on a point person from the school, kind of representative because that would make a huge difference mm-hmm. or at least having some of the staff go through the process, because mm-hmm. it definitely, that way we know that we're serving the people in the school and reaching out to that area. So that's mm-hmm. definitely something that I always ask.
1: Now, as we uh, we're, we're kind of coming to the close of our, our time today. And there's one question that I like to ask uh, a lot of our guests and it. It's about the metrics of the American Catholic church right now. You know, one of the phrases that we can use often is demographics or destiny. And really the metrics are pretty uh, much of a downturn for um, a lot of us in the the Catholic world. What is your your perspective, your thought for where we are and where we can go as especially Catholics here in the United States regarding uh, the work that you're doing and how that can impact maybe future growth in the church?
3: Oh, man, I, I love this question. Uh, when when um, I first became Catholic in the late uh, 1990s, um, the Evangelical Catholic had just been founded. Uh, our founder uh, was, was my mentor coming into the church. Uh, and I remember very clearly in the late 90s, early 2000s, him getting invited to conferences to speak on evangelization. And he would talk about evangelization, discipleship, um, sharing the good news, uh, Jesus um, as uh, um, the, the source of our salvation, you know, the, the way, the truth, and the life. And he would get run out of conferences because people mm. weren't ready for it. And even though this teaching was in Vatican II, it was Pope Paul VI, John Paul II, uh, it still hadn't become, it wasn't in the water, It was still controversial. It was still, people would accuse him of being Protestant, even Mm. though he was just teaching out of these magisterial documents. And um, man, how far we've come that uh, that's not the case anymore. Yes, we have declining demographics and a lot of, uh, according to a lot of measures. But I'll tell you this, nobody anymore is wondering whether the mission of the church is to evangelize or not. Everybody knows that. Now people are wondering, how? How do I do that? What a long way we've come. And this is, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, furthermore, sometimes it's, it's spoken of as a negative thing that only 20% of, of identifying Catholics are coming to Mass regularly. You know, maybe it's even, even lower now because of COVID. Um, but I've always thought, man, what a work of the Holy Spirit that 20% of identifying Catholics still come to mass because I've been to mass and it's not always awesome. (laughs) You know, like the music is not always awesome. The the homilies are not always awesome. I come from the Protestant world where if you had two bad sermons in a row, people are thinking about hopping ship and going to the, the church down the road, you know, and in the Catholic, the Catholic church has this stickiness to it whereby even if the Sunday experience is not very good, 20% continue to come regularly. So I ask myself, what is the Holy Spirit doing? You know, when in the last 20 years, now people have gone from wondering whether evangelizing is our mission, to wondering how do we evangelize, and and wanting to evangelize, and still 20% are sticking around and coming to Mass regularly. I see a great move of the Holy Spirit coming where the 20% are mobilized mm-hmm. to share the good news in the world, to make disciples, to go, um, go two by two like the disciples did. And I don't know what wonders the Holy Spirit has in store for these lay people, uh, but I do, th- I do think with all my heart uh, that, that it's going to astound the world. It, it's potentially world-changing. Uh, what's happening? So, my take on the demographics is is not at all doomsday. Uh, I think these twenty percent have been sticking around for a reason. I think the Lord has been putting different stuff in the water, you know, in the Catholic Church since Vatican II, and people are finally starting to drink it, and it's it's going to bring life to the world. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's I I think about it a lot, and I I just love the work that Marty is doing. Um, she's changing the world. These 18 ministries are going to change the world and mm-hmm. and the rest of our staff as well. So it's it's just beautiful. And, and so many other organizations too. I mean, the, mm-hmm. the, the number of organizations that were started in 1998, mm-hmm. Focus is just one of them. Focus was started in 1998 along with us. But there are others too across the board. Uh, it's just beautiful what the Lord did during the pontificate of John Paul II. I mean, the... Mm-hmm the springtime started to, to burst. Mm-hmm. And um, and he said, we're only seeing the beginning signs. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I think that's right. I think we see more and more signs every year of this springtime.
1: It's mm-hmm. interesting that I, I think that just this huge influx of those that are converts into the church also began about that same time.
3: Yeah, yeah.
1: You know, and uh, uh, there were a number of campus ministries and others that be- began to discover liturgy and sacraments and the church fathers. And Mm -hmm. it just seems like there's there's this renewal. And I I really appreciate your your encouragement at this time that we're still experiencing the fruits of that and will even more as we continue to move forward.
3: Yeah.
1: So Madi, from the trenches, what are you seeing?
3: Mm.
2: There's our times I'm hearing Jason talk and I'm like, wow, we should be focusing more on that because there are times that people are more of, there's so much brokenness and there's so much healing and people are not perfect. And, you know, when I taught high school for so many years, you hear comments like, but the church is a mess sometimes. And it's like, yeah. And if you look at history, it always has had a little bit of a messiness to it. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, right. you know, and I remember someone told me um, I've heard someone say at some point, like there is no church that's perfect. And if it if there is, it would stop being perfect when you join it. And I was like, <laughs> oh, <laughs> but this aspect of well, the church is made up of all of us, and we are not perfect. Um, but at the same time, I would I would always tell my students, you have doubts about the faith, like you're not sure. I would challenge them. Okay, like go searching, right? Like right. you have questions. I taught morality, so a big thing of me for me that I was seeing was so many questions. And even with point people, people have questions of, well, why do we do this? And why is it like this? And I was, okay, great. Like, these are awesome questions. Do research. And I always say, if if you're really looking for truth, like you're going to end up here um, at the church that Jesus himself founded. And what we're doing at the EC with going out and evangelizing, I think it's helping people to encounter the Lord. And there's a difference between I'm Catholic because I'm Catholic because I grew up, or for Hispanics, it's because there's a lot of you know, cultural Hispanics that are right. just Catholic because that's just what you are, right? But there's a difference and a shift when you understand I'm Catholic because I encountered the Lord and mm-hmm. because he changed my life and because I recognize that I, there's a necessity for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I think, what evangelization is, is an allowing people to be invited into a relationship with the Lord. And that relationship is going to transform every aspect of, of who you are. There's such a hunger in this world right now. I don't care what age you are, um, just to know who you are.
1: Yeah, that is really true. Yeah. And
2: to know what you're being called to. And there's so many doubts and so many fears. And we look at what's going on right now in, in Russia and in Ukraine. And we look at all these things. And there's so many times that I'm just like, man, this world is kind of a mess, you know? And it's a reminder of, yes, but the Lord wants to show us something here. Mm-hmm. And through that relationship with the Lord, you know, I always say that choosing, I've been reflecting a lot about the gift of knowing the Lord, like the simple gift of just knowing that he's real Mm
0: -hmm. and that he's
2: real in my life. And if people just, uh, just allow ourselves to know him, Mm -hmm. um, he can, he'll meet us in our mess and and he'll transform it and, um, and use it to be able to go out to others and to help them with their mess. And so, yeah, we're not a part of, it's a perfect church because it's one Holy Catholic and apostolic and the Holy Spirit dwells in it. But you and I, not everyone listening, we're not perfect. Um, but right. it's such an indication of the Lord invites us and wants us just as we are. And he wants our hearts. Um, and that's what I love about the Catholic church and the Eucharist specifically hmm. uh, that we are called to dwell in him. Right. And that and is transformational.
1: That is really true. And I, as you were sharing, I kept thinking of that verse Regarding Queen Esther, that uh, you know you are born for such a time as this, and I see your ministry and the other things going on in our church around the world as being uh, for such a time as this, that uh, that we can get that good news out. Well, Jason Simon and Marty Pablo, thank you so much. This has been rich. I could keep talking with you for hours, but I think that well, I'll I'll run out of bandwidth here pretty soon. (laughs) But uh, let me ask you one last question, and that is. Uh, how can people find out more? What, what, what's your website? And if a pastor or other leader wants to connect with you for something, how would they go about doing that?
3: Yeah, the best way is to go to our website, which is evangelicalcatholic.org. And uh, their uh, pastors can connect with how we could help maybe coach their parish or their campus ministry. Um, also, uh, lay leaders Can connect with a resource that we have that's free for everybody just to help to deepen their discipleship and then help them start to to develop some ways of articulating their story, their testimony, and the good news of Jesus. And that's at ecnextstep.com, ecnextstep.com. And so it's basically there to help people take their next step toward mission and fruitfulness in the world. So um, I'd invite all the, the lay people and teachers and principals to check that out. Um, and then, you know, point your pastor uh, or even uh, principal to the uh, evangelicalcatholic.org um, to see if maybe we can help their community.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, Jason and Marty, thank you again for joining me today. This has been really rich.
3: Thank you for having, thank you. For having us. Yeah, love, love to keep talking. Sorry you have to go.
1: Yeah. Well, and for our audience, uh, if you haven't already been been able to subscribe, please do that. And uh, also be sure to leave a comment uh, to help encourage us toward future programming. We also want to thank our intern, Alex Shire, for assisting us in the production of this podcast and mail. Mighty
0: God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.